When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's film study with Ken McCusick. I know it's been two months since the last episode. The podcast isn't going away. It's just been a little bit of slow period for NFL news. But now it's mid-July. We get to start getting excited for training camp. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I moved down to Florida during our uh, hiatus. Well, we appreciate you timing your new job and your new opportunity in life and frankly you're probably your new life because it sounds like a great great opportunity for you by timing it up in the nfl dead period thank you very much for that during the season but very disruptive and you know it's all about us right it was all about 
timing in this podcast and finding the time that the Orioles suck, so I don't have to worry too much about being at Camden Yards. You know uh, what? You're you're going to miss out on the pro debut of Adley Rushman, which is apparently going to happen at Aberdeen now, I'm hearing. Yeah, it's supposed to be this week or next week. I will miss out on that. But whenever the Orioles, I'll be coming up often. Family's still up there. So I'll be coming up often, for, uh, especially for Oriole games, once they start to get a little better. All right. So, so we're at, we're, this podcast is about identifying what's happening going into Ravens camp and what are some of the significant battles and do a little roster handicapping as we go. And please join in with us. And uh, uh, we hope you, as always, although you won't hear this episode until it's done, before our episodes, give us a give us a question. You can tag it Poundstein Film Study Mailbag. Have a comment. That's fine as well. We'll try and air every single one. And Josh will kind of weave these in as we as we work through uh, as we see them on Twitter. Uh, but we did want to talk. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Well, for one, it's a hashtag, not a pound sign. But let's also <laughs> let, let's also welcome Michael Michael Crawford into the conversation. Because you guys are going to be the ones that get really deep into this uh, training camp preview. Hey, thank, thanks, Josh and, and Ken, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on as, as usual again. And uh, big thanks. Just want to echo what Ken said. Big thank you to Josh for uh, still, you know, doing this despite, you know, a really significant move. Uh, and, you know, I know that's, that's got to be tough. So hope it's all going well. And I appreciate you uh, still uh, still doing this. You, you guys really you guys make it this big deal that we're doing it from Florida to Maryland. We've never been in the same room together doing a podcast. We always yes. do it over the Internet. So it yes. doesn't really matter where I'm at. That's true. I have been to your house for the 336 podcast, but you're right. We've never done the Ravens podcast from uh, from there. No, it's right. more of the life change. It's more of the life change thing, right? Not necessarily that, you know, we got to all oh, be in the same place right. to do it. All right. Well, the life change is still in the middle as I'm in a hotel and my family's still back in Maryland. But yeah, <laughs> podcast will continue. It's nice. football season and, and we can't uh, delay anymore. Nice. All right. So along those lines, let's jump in right to the first thing that comes to mind in camp, which is the battles involved. We certainly have some on the Ravens this year. And in particular, I think at the heart of those are the fourth year players, Michael, because those non-star fourth-year players are always coming to camp with their job on the line. They they are out of option value, and and particularly, you know, non-star, I'm talking about guys who are not going to contribute to the comp f- formula. So there are several of those on the on the Ravens right now. You know, uh, Kennedy comes to mind, Maurice Kennedy. Uh, Dixon certainly is, is on the bubble, I think, as a fourth running back. Willie Henry's job may not be in jeopardy, but they have a lot of defensive linemen, and he's been hurt, and and you know he's got to show something to beat out people like uh, McPhee for a job. Uh, Cyrus Jones, I think, who was a good punt returner last year, and Alex Lewis, of course, all fourth-year players uh, with jobs on the line. Yeah, it's that show and prove year for these guys, and you know a couple of the guys, a couple of the names that you mentioned, um, and you alluded to it as well. They're in position groups where there's a lot of depth already, you know, uh, Kennedy and Cyrus Jones, obviously in that DB group, we know just how deep the Ravens are uh, in that particular position uh, running back. You know, they've, they've obviously got some depth now bringing in Mark Ingram, drafting Justice Hill and then the O-line. Uh, I mean, that that left guard position uh, is, is probably going to be one of the more intriguing, if not 
maybe the most intriguing uh, camp battle um, that that there is right now. That's that that position doesn't have a clear, clearly defined starter. So not only are these guys in that fourth year position that you highlighted, but they're also uh, in some other sort of uncomfortable or maybe not uncomfortable is not the right word, but some more pressure packed positions in terms of really fighting, not just um, being in that fourth year position, but the depth uh, in their particular position group. Yeah, very, very much so. And it's depth that causes those players without option value to be in trouble. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, where you don't have depth, you can't afford to let a fourth year guy go, but where you do have depth, you have to make a decision. And that's, that's where it was. We, I think we're at a point right now where we can look back at that 2016 draft and start to appreciate just how good it was. Obviously they got Ronnie Stanley in the first round, couple, couple uh, blown picks in rounds two and three with Correa and Kafusi. But then also in round four, they, they picked five guys. Tavon Young was already extended long-term. Chris Moore, who's been an enormous special teams player for, for them and, and has shown some value. Alex Lewis, who has started off and on for this team, but is still yet to prove himself a, and worthy of one specific position. Uh, Willie Henry, who's been good when he's played. We'll talk a little bit about that. And, of course, Kenneth Dixon, who, who seemed to rebound in year three and be a fairly significant back. So a pretty exciting draft. And we're not even talking about Matthew Judon, who they got in the fifth round. Yeah, I mean, when you really unpack it and and break it down the way you just did, and you know, obviously Ronnie Stanley uh, is is a star in my opinion in this league at left tackle. Uh, Tavon just signed a big contract. Uh, Judon is kind of on the precipice of maybe uh, the kinds of deal, the kind of deal that we just saw Zadarius Smith get. You know, if he has that kind of year this season, and then all those other guys, I don't I don't want to you know give them any short shift uh, short shrift either. Um, they're all contributors. So if you look at that draft class and you look at, you've got solid starters um, beyond that with Ronnie Stanley, an actual star, in my opinion, in this mm-hmm. league, uh, and then a bunch of other really solid contributors uh, in different roles and different rotational situations. I mean, I think any any team, any GM uh, would would look back at that as 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 a success. Yeah, it's an A draft. I mean, it's they do really have three stars in the group because Tavon, Judon, and Stanley are all players who, you know, are very solid plus starters in this league. And and then the rest of the guys, you know, we're talking about good rotational players. We'll talk about some of them a little bit later in the show. But any, anyway, some of those guys, even from that fourth round, uh, are are now on the on the verge and need to really earn their job again, prove themselves again, as as happens in the NFL. And we want to talk about that, but I think we're going to go. We're going to start going through the battles position by position, if that's okay, Michael. And let's start with quarterback. And why don't you start us off and just talk about where you see that landing? Yeah, I think that you know the sort of unquestioned uh, situation. Lamar is obviously the 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 clearly defined starter going into this season. They brought. RG3 back uh, again to to back him up. Obviously, that was a priority for them, I think, to 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 get him in particular back, um, not just because of the style of offense that they run. That's an important point, obviously. But I think they also see some mentorship value uh, with him in terms of a guy who has a very similar playing style to Lamar and has been through some things in this league, you know, not all of them positive. Uh, obviously, he started out on one end of the spectrum and, and you know, had injuries and, and, and issues like that. 
sort of took him to the other end of the spectrum. So I think that's kind of a valuable thing that they see in the locker room too. But Trace McSorley, then that leaves Trace McSorley. And I think that's really where the discussion point really is with the quarterback group is, do they keep a third quarterback? Do they keep um, a guy who I actually think he's, he's, uh, you know, a decent quarterback prospect. I know, you know, there's other opinions out there and, and, and other people who maybe don't quite see him that way, see him maybe more as a as a, a runner, more than a thrower, more of a gadget kind of player. And I'm certainly not going to say that, um, you know, he doesn't have some of those attributes. Uh, but I think that there's a possibility to find a role for him. I say possibility because and I know we'll get into this, but there's going to be uh, some real some real depth challenges at other positions. So many good players um, who can contribute in in, in a lot of different ways that it's going to be tough, but you've got a guy who's, you know, got some, some unique abilities at the quarterback position, right? A guy who's, who's mobile, who can run, who can maybe do some things on special teams can certainly give you uh, some gadget value, but there's got to be an offset with that, right? How, how much value do you place on something like that as opposed to having to maybe not keep uh, a wide receiver or a DB, you know? So that's, that's something that's going to have to uh, play out uh, as they go into training camp. Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at this, I think there are a couple things going on. And you mentioned this really, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in numbers differently. I think there are about 22 spots that I think are pretty surely assigned to the offense and I can get to 24 pretty easily by adding a couple guys on the margin. But I think this is really a year where the Ravens are going to keep, because of all their defensive depth, are probably going to keep 26 defensive players and drive most of their special teams value from there. And one of the important things I see coming up in camp is that McSorley proves his versatility beyond just his ability, to obviously, to play quarterback and be decent. And he'll get plenty of second half playing time there. But... I want to see him play special teams well. I want to see him be a receiver and try and create some of these slash opportunities for himself. But the special teams role he can carve out, very important. If they decide he's not going to be a special teams player, well, maybe they decided he's going to make it. But more than likely, it, it reduces his chance to make the team because they really do need players there. And uh, I think if you're going to have one extra offensive player make it, it better be a special teams contributor and a player when you look at the running backs, and we'll just move on to them kind of seamlessly here, Ken Dixon is one of those fourth-year players who is on the bubble. Ingram, Edwards, Hill, I think all sure to make the team. But Ken Dixon is not a special teams player, and that is something that rates against him. Yeah, that that's going to be interesting for him because I agree with you that Ingram, Edwards, and Hill uh, are, are probably all pretty safe. Um, obviously, barring injury, that's the only reason I say mm-hmm. probably not not because of ability or anything like that, but barring injury. Um, but so Dixon and then you could throw in some of these other guys that are in the mix, a DeLance Turner, uh, a Tyler Irvin. Um, you know, th- those guys are are sort of in that mix with Kenneth Dixon for maybe that fourth spot. And again, that fourth running back spot, if they decide to do that, um, it gets back to special teams value. Right. If you're going to do that, if you're going to keep that fourth running back, um, that guy's going to have to contribute on special teams in some way. And maybe the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, uh, with that ability from what we heard in, in OTAs and minicamp might be Tyler Irvin because he's got some punt return slash kick kick return ability. 
um, that, you know, obviously Dixon has not played special teams, uh, I, I don't believe, uh, in his career in the NFL. And then um, DeLance Turner, I think, did a little bit in the preseason last year. So he, he may have some ability there, too. But uh, it's going to be interesting, right, because Dixon has got uh, that uphill climb. He's got some of his, uh, you know, off the field challenges that he's had in the past. And he's sort of been in in uh, uh, John Harbaugh's doghouse at various points in time. So he's also sort of got that that track record. But just in terms, and I, I've said this before on Twitter, just in terms of if you could isolate it to just running ability, and obviously you can't because a running back has to do a variety mm-hmm. of things, but just for purpose of this discussion, if you isolated it just to running ability, I think he's the most talented runner that they have of their group of running backs. But as we know, there's more to playing that position and all the different things that you have to be able to do to fulfill different roles on the team from that position to just being a good runner. So uh, it's going to take more than that. Right. Receiving, blocking, uh, all of those, uh, the ability to do those things are very important, obviously. But uh, Edwards is a guy who covered kicks last year. And in fact, he scored a touchdown, scored the two-point conversion, then went in to cover a kick. In one of the games last year, and I forget which one it was, might have been Cincinnati on the tying touchdown. I'm forgetting exactly which game it was. I watched them. They blurred together a little bit. But I don't see them as using him as much on special teams if he's going to be the kind of bell cow they expect him to be. Justice Hill, uh, you know, a little bit smaller guy, but certainly capable of, of playing special teams, definitely has the speed for it. So I think they'll try and get him you know, working there. So I think that, you know, a real question exists as to whether you have the space for Dixon, whether he can prove himself enough as a pass blocker in particular, such that his receiving value can be felt on some of those passing downs. Yeah. And you've, you've mentioned this, this other, other point too, in addition to that, um, how important those other roles are beyond just running. Um, if you look back at 2018, some of the injuries that they had uh, at the running back position and and how guys like Gus Edwards, uh, the Lance Turner, you know, the UDFA guys all got a shot uh, yeah. with with snaps in games, you know, not not just in the preseason. So I think when you brought that up, that's a really good point that um, that's something that you got to keep in your mind as well with this this running back competition. Yeah. And that, maybe that's a maybe that's a point for Tyler Urban is that. Depending on what he shows in camp, he could be uh, who's the guy Mazel that they lost. Yeah, yeah, Smoke uh, Mazel. Uh, yeah, I want to call him Vinegar Ben, but that's an old pitcher. But Smoke Mazel, that's that's. Right. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, he uh, uh, they they lost him, but but they did do a good job last year of stashing their guys on the practice squad and bringing them up as needed. And one thing I'll say about Roman's offenses is they've always been pretty good at plugging in a style of running back and making that work within his scheme. And, you know, certainly with Edwards last year, I mean, I, I really respect what Edwards did, but I, I think that Edwards in terms of his physical ability and whatnot is a fairly average big NFL back. And, and he, you know, what the results he produced within the scheme, I think were absolutely terrific. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about uh, sort of horses for courses, right, in terms of, of roles for particular running backs within that scheme. So, you know, you have guys who are a little bit better in gap schemes, you know, on, on, on concepts like power or counter. And then you have guys that are a little bit better in zone game, uh, zone scheme, so in the, the outside zone or the inside zone scheme. So, I mean, 
obviously guys are going to be able to do both and you're going to mix and match them that way because you certainly don't want to create, you know, too strong of a tendency one way or the other. We're like, oh, when when this guy's in the game and uh, and we think it's a run, we know it's going to be a zone because he's a zone guy. I mean, obviously they're not going to go to that extreme, but I do think uh, I've seen that in, in some of my study. Uh, looking back at, at Greg Roman, not just with the Ravens, but going back to Buffalo, going back to San Francisco, that I think he does do a pretty good job of, uh, you know, finding what a guy's strengths are in terms of, of you, know, you know, what he can do in different run concepts and then putting him in position to kind of maximize those strengths. And then, you know, sometimes, look, you just get a guy like Frank Gore who can do it all right back going back to San Francisco. Uh, but I think this year what we see uh, with the Ravens is, you know, uh, sort of that running back by committee approach and guys who who bring sort of complementary skill sets. And uh, I think that's something that'll probably that point will probably come up again once we uh, once we get into wide receivers. Yeah. OK, so let's let's move on, if we can, to probably the easiest group to handicap, which is the tight ends. And the Ravens have three returning guys, Boyle, Andrews and Hurst. Uh, Boyle, they signed to a big contract, of course, Andrews and Hurst still in their second year. So they have the youth they would like at the position. They have some of the veteran uh, quality with Boyle. Uh, Cole Herdman and Charles Scarf are at best long shots to make this roster. They'd probably get there only via injury. Probably both or one or both, probably one is a good uh, practice squad candidate. But I think the more interesting question for this year is going to be if they keep these three guys as tight ends, how do you see the snaps being divided among those three? Yeah, that I, we talked a little bit about that uh, pre-show, and I, I do think that's the most interesting point because you know, like you 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 covered it already. It's it's those guys are pretty clearly defined as as the three guys that they're going to go with at tight end, and you know because of how much Greg Roman uses tight ends in his offense, I think you know they're they're going to see a lot of snaps. Um, I guess if I had to handicap it right now, I probably lean towards Nick. Boyle only because of his prowess as a blocker, right? I mean, he obviously can can leak out into the flat and sort of catch a dump off or over the middle, a check down, that kind of thing. But because they want to run the ball, I mean, we know that this is their MO. This is this is how they want to play. Uh, I think he may sort of be the leader in the clubhouse in terms of my handicapping it in, in terms of who might see the most snaps because of that blocking prowess. But um you know, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, I would expect them both to take some steps forward as blockers this year. I think Mark Andrews um, really, you know, did a, a nice job. It's probably too too light of a word, a, a really good job in terms of, of, of a receiver last year and a guy who could actually create some mismatches, stretch the field a little bit, get downfield and make some big plays. Hayden Hurst, I think, you know, started to come on a little bit late towards the end of last season. Obviously, he was recovering from the foot injury, a pretty significant thing. I mean, I think anytime you got to get screws put in your foot, um, you know, it's going to, as a football player, it's it's, it's going to impact you on the field. So I think, you know, you have to kind of have to have that in the background when you think about his rookie season. So um, I expect some improvement from both of those guys in terms of blocking, but I would expect them to be more of the sort of matchup um, obviously, you know, receiving threat kind of tight ends. But, uh, yeah, I'd lean towards Nick probably seeing the bulk of the snap just because he's such a darn good blocker. Well, your, your handicapping certainly goes along with what it was down the stretch. So when Lamar starts, Boyle outsnapped the other two guys by a significant amount, even though Andrews proved himself to be a very valuable receiver down the stretch. Good catch radius for Lamar, which I think was important uh, during that stretch when we saw John Brown 
you know, having a lot of difficulties as a receiver, other people having difficulties as well, frankly. Andrews was the one guy who really played very well during the Lamar stretch run and and uh, of excellent play. I also I hope the Ravens don't try and make Andrews into something he's not. You know, if he if he really is a flex tight end primarily, if he's really Todd Heap and he's not really a, a, a particularly great blocker, well, there's no need to use him like that. He, he has tremendous opportunity to flex, and flexing is very valuable in terms of that mismatch you create because you put extra tight ends on the field. The other team is more likely to keep their base defense in as opposed to the nickel and not have a cornerback to cover what ends up being a slot receiver at tight end. Because remember, they have to make their choice before the play yep. on what defenders they want. Absolutely. And I agree. I agree with you 100 percent on that. Uh, I hope they don't do that either, because I think that is really where he excels. Uh, I mean, he's I'm not look, I want to give him credit because I I think that, you know, he takes pride in in blocking and wanting to improve his blocking. So I don't want to take anything away from that. But he's, you know, a, a big wide receiver, really, in a lot of ways. I mean, he's he's he has that ability. He's talented in that way. Really good hands. Uh, does a good job with route running, does a good job with getting open at the top of his routes. Uh, you know, a little bit of a mismatch in terms of having some separation quickness. I mean, I don't, you know, he's 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 not going to you know, run like a 4-4 or anything like that and just run away from guys at times, but he can, he can you know, get downfield. We saw that a couple times last year. So I'm with you 100% on that. I, I hope that they continue to use him that way. Going to be a great battle for snaps. And I think this is a place, as we saw on defense, where rest really worked wonders in providing late game value for the defense. I think we could see some of that on the offense too with Hurst and Andrews and and Boyle all alternating some snaps. There'll, there'll be a lot of temptation to use two or three of them on some plays, but uh, but there's also there there should there's real opportunity here to have rested players. And you know between the two of them, I would not expect that they would have as many as two snaps per per offensive play. So that gives you an idea of nobody's going to play. Well, OK, somebody might play two thirds of the snaps and it'd probably be Boyle. But in general, they're they're not going to be playing all that many snaps in a game. They should be pretty well rested. We're not talking Rob Gronkowski here in terms of leaning right. on these players. Absolutely. All right. So we, we so far, we seem pretty excited about, I think, the quarterback position, because I know both you and I are hoping for big things from Lamar this year. Improvements, certainly at the running backs where the, where the Ravens have some depth in the tight ends. Let's talk about the wide receivers, because I think this is an interesting position where the Ravens have a lot of different types of players. And so if you'll indulge me here, I'm going to define these players and then we can talk about each of the 10 groups, if you want to call it that. OK. They have, so they have three locks, I think, really at the top of the of the group. And that's all I really see of true lo- roster locks at the top of the wide receiver groups. And that's Sneed, Hollywood Brown, and Boykin. They're all going to make it. Um, you know, Again, this is barring injury. Uh, Sneed, their leading receiver last year. Uh, Brown, uh, obviously, this first-round draft pick. If he didn't make the team, if there is an injury consideration for him this year, that would be very bad. And Boykin, because he's their, their most obvious outside quality receiver with the right size fit for that. So those are my three roster locks. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I tend to agree with those three. Um, Obviously, Snead showed how valuable he was uh, to the passing game last year and what he can do over the middle uh, and and from the slot. Hollywood Brown's a first-round pick, enough said there. Uh, And Miles Boykin, even though I know we'll talk about some other guys that they have in terms of big, big bodies at the wide receiver position, whether that's Michael Floyd or even Antoine Wesley or, or uh, Quincy Adeboyjo, Jalen Smith, you know, 
go on down the list. But Miles Boykin, not only a draft pick, not only a big body, but probably the fastest maybe of that other group of, of big yeah. body guys. So you get that combination of size and speed on the outside um, that, you know, you really are looking for to, to, to take advantage of. Uh, sometimes you get those mismatches out there at corner where not that the corner is small, you know, maybe he's a 5'11 kind of guy, maybe he's 190 pounds or so. Uh, and then you get a big, fast guy like Boykin out there and you you, you probably like your chances. Yeah, a lot, a lot of opportunity with a player like that to draw some double coverage. You know, they, they're the, the best way to handle a big body is often to bracket him. You know, if you, if you go high low on him, you got you got the better chance. But that, of course, you know, takes a man out of the box, takes a man out of the running game equation. That's just what the Ravens should be looking to do. Moving on, there's one guy that I think most people have him as a roster lock. And Chris Moore certainly proved to be very valuable throughout his first three years of the Ravens. Scoop and score more. He's been a great special teams player. He's had a really showed a great catch radius and a good catch percentage last year. I think he might have been up at 75 or 80 percent for the year. And, uh, you know, that was something that the Ravens did not have a lot of across the board, particularly in their wide receivers. Often running backs are, are at that level or higher. But uh, but that, that's not common for, for receivers. And, and Moore showed a lot of reach back ability and, and good catch radius. He's got undeniable value. A lot of people expect him to play on the outside, get more time this year. And I, I would hope so. But he's also in his fourth year. And so there's going to be questions if they like a couple rookies more that they're going to want to continue to stay young at the position. And I think it's really borderline whether or not Chris Moore would be a guy who contribute to the comp formula after the 2018 after the 2019 season also. Yeah, he's he's a guy who I really like, have really liked um, from from the time that that they they drafted him. Um, and I tend to put him more in the lock column than not, but the fourth year point that you make is a very strong one. Obviously we talked about that, uh, at the top, but I think the other thing about him is, you know, the special teams contributions and what he's done there is, is undeniable. And that value is, is well established. So, you know, um, not disputing that at all, what he's done as a wide receiver. I think what we've seen are flashes. Right. And I think even people that like him, even people that really pull for him and root for him, I think even they sort of want to see more. I think there's just this feeling that, man, we want to see more. People talk about a breakout, you know, last year, this is going to be Chris Moore's breakout year. And then going into this year, now this is going to be the year. And then, you know, it kind of sort of doesn't live up to the expectation that people will say, well, he didn't get the opportunities. They could have done more to give him chances. Look, all of that is in the equation. All those variables are in the equation with him. But as you know, at a certain point, you know, it's it's just either got to happen or it's not. Uh, and, and particularly when you're a guy in the fourth year like like he is, um, you really got to come out and take this thing by the reins. Right. And it's it's it, you just got to make it happen. So I hope it does because I'm a big Chris Moore fan. Um, but I definitely can see that other side of the argument where maybe it's not as, as, as clear cut as you might think. Right. That's that unfortunately is where I am. I wish it were clear cut more was another thing about him as a receiver. And this goes to what you said is that he was on the field for a lot of snaps for the number of targets he got last year, although he caught a high percentage of his targets. He didn't, you know, there's not the evidence of regular separation that you would hope for in a receiver. And, you know, I know that the Ravens did run the ball a lot. 
I do not have a separation by pass play and run play of what he was on the field for. But, uh, you know, it's, it is something we'd like to see more. Anyway, let's let's move on here because we, we need to we need to move a little quick here. But veteran choices, they have two guys who are who are in. I don't think they'll both make it. But Seth Roberts and Michael Floyd uh, each provides potential outside receiver uh, value and some some veteran stability there. Seth Roberts, you know, played well at Oakland. Floyd has played well in the past at Arizona. Uh, you know, both of them kind of at a crossroads in their career at this point. Yeah, I um, that was a tough one for me between these two. I think um, I've, I've kind of worked backwards, I guess. So so both guys, I don't think, have have done a lot on special teams throughout their career. I, I, I remember checking Seth Roberts. He had some limited snaps throughout his career in Oakland. Michael Floyd, I'm not sure that he's ever played on special well, teams. Well, his body say. type, you wouldn't yeah, normally. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when you're talking about maybe that fifth or sixth wide receiver spot, special teams, obviously very important. So you've got that, that to factor in as well. But uh, Roberts... Pretty solid number three receiver, I think, out there in Oakland for for some of his time going back to when um, Crabtree was there, uh, when Amari Cooper was uh, Amari Cooper was there. So pretty solid number three guy could work out of the slot, could work outside. Like you said, has 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 solid size. Um, you know, had pretty dependable hands. I think. I think he had a year there once where he had maybe ten drops or so, but. Um, you know, my position about drops, you got to you got to add context there. You can't just look at raw drop numbers. But I think pretty solid as a number three guy. And then Michael Floyd, I mean, when he first came into the league, this guy looked like he was going to be a legitimate, maybe number one type of receiver uh, out there in Arizona. I think he had at least one thousand yard season, maybe 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 another one. But um, looked like that kind of guy. And then, you know, had some off the field issues, had some injuries and, and things have kind of gone the other way. But I probably lean a little bit towards a little bit more towards Seth Roberts between the two of them. Um, but we'll see. I mean, this is this is what training camp is all about. You know, and this is what coaches always say is, you know, the competition will sort these things out. So, you know, we'll 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 be keeping an eye on that. And injuries, of course, also possibly as well. Yes. I, I'm, I'm just going to handicap it for you, and you can agree or disagree, Michael, but I'm going to say there's probably a 25% chance both make it, uh, maybe 60% chance that one of the two makes it, and I don't think it's decided yet. And no. then the, the rest being about 15% that neither makes it. Yeah, I think those are fair odds. I definitely lean towards one of them making it, uh, being the higher proposition than, than both of them making it. Okay. Well, let's move on because the, the next set of guys, the next pair of guys, I'm sorry, Josh, did we have a question related to that? No, you're good. Okay, thanks. Um, so we have a, a couple of players coming into their second year. Neither of them has played an NFL snap yet. J, uh, Jaleel Scott played, uh, spent the entire year on IR. Lastly, I think important for developmental purposes was on the roster for the entire season, but never was activated on game day. He was a game day deactivation. Lasley's obviously taken the time to work with Lamar this offseason to a good degree. I don't know about Scott. Lasley's been more vocal about it on social media. Uh, you know, those are two guys who camp couldn't be more critical in terms of beating out some of these other UDFA guys who frankly shouldn't be behind them in any significant way. They both signed for three years from now. And each, you know, the UDFA guys, in fact, have an extra year as an RFA at the end of that, where the Ravens have some frictional value they can derive. So, you know, at this point, you know, those guys also were Aussie draft picks 
and we don't know how much DaCosta, how much they were DaCosta's guys. So I question, you know, how that will, will play out. But where do you see those two guys? Yeah, this is an interesting one because, correct me if I'm wrong, both of these guys were taken um, no later than the fifth round, right? Was, Four was and five. Jalik? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to be in year two, you know, with that kind of draft, um, you know, position and to, you know, really, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that these guys are on the bubble. Uh, that's that's not something that you see often, particularly uh, in a in a group where there maybe isn't a ton of like clear cut starters. I mean, we talked about Snead and Brown and Boykin. I mean, Snead, obviously, but uh, Brown and Boykin, it's it's really because of of draft slot. Right. They haven't played yet. So um, for for Lasley and, and Scott to be where they are is is, is maybe something that I don't think you see uh, a lot around the league, uh, particularly with you know, how, how prevalent passing is now, but, uh, look, there's the whole drum beat issue with Jaleel Scott, right? If you go back to, uh, the mini camps and the OTAs about how he looked and, you know, uh, sort of, you know, turning the corner a little bit or not looking like the stage was too big for him and, and really showing a lot of improvement. Uh, those drum beats are always interesting to me because you hear them throughout the off season and hopefully that carries over into Pre, uh, into training camp and into the preseason because sometimes there's something there. Sometimes when you kind of hear that consistent drumbeat about a player getting better, improving, uh, if it's consistent throughout all of those phases of the preseason, sometimes it really is um, fire and not just smoke, but but we'll see. Um, lastly, I, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more about the developmental value of uh, being able to run on the scout team and go against, you know, the Ravens DBs and, and really still work in the offense and catch passes from Lamar and continue to kind of develop that develop that timing and rapport and then what what they've done in the offseason. So, um, you know, all of that points in the right direction, has the arrow pointing in the right direction. But now we need to see it uh, in training camp with the pads on, with the veterans in preseason games. Right. We need to see the product, the outcome of, of all of these sort of positive reports that we're hearing. So the opportunity is there for both of these guys, I think, to to, you know, seize a spot. Now, this is an I'd, I'd be interested to get your take on this. We handicapped those last two guys. What how would you handicap this? Do you think that it's more likely that both of these guys make it than what we did with Floyd and Roberts? Or do you think it's kind of a similar a similar situation? No, I think I think one of them makes it. One of them probably doesn't would be my guess. I I, I you know, it's an interesting group because Leslie is clearly got the more experience and probably the better rapport with Lamar, seems to be more in touch with what the Ravens want him to do. Jaleel Scott, by far the better physical specimen. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, being a tall guy at wide receiver, you can't make up for that. And the Ravens need outside guys. They don't need, you know, more slot ponies, as we'll call them. They've got quite a few possibilities for that position it's kind of like having a bunch of nickel corners and not having guys who, who have the length to play on the outside it's not exactly what you want uh so anyway i it's it is i would i would think one of them would make it and i think the 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 set of rookie hopefuls is probably stronger than it's been in past years i'm always question myself when i say that because we've been through so many situations with butler and other people who just there's no way they're going to be cut and of course they're caught, <laughs> but it may be another case where, where at least they can build themselves a strong practice squad from among Wesley, Jalen Smith, Quincy Adeboyjo. Uh, Quincy's actually running out of time. He's in year three right now. So I think that right there, his size keeps him in the race there. But Jalen Smith and Antoine Wesley are also both physical, bigger physical receivers who could play on the outside. 
you'd like to have some depth there, particularly if things aren't working out with Boykin or with one of the veterans they keep with Floyd or Roberts. So, you know, there is going to be pressure to keep them, whether it's maybe Scott as well. Uh, I think one of those guys may make the team and, you know, one other may be on the practice squad. Okay. Okay. I know we want to get on to O-line, so I, I won't go too much into the UDFAs. I think you hit on those guys pretty well, but Antoine Wesley is the guy that I'll, I'll be keeping my eye on, a guy I spent a little time watching during the pre-draft process, kind of intriguing skill set for a big guy, so uh, I'll be keeping my eye on him. Well, let's make sure, to the, to the extent we do some preseason episodes, and I'll, I'm going to keep the podcast going week after week. I don't know on what kind of abbreviated form, but hopefully we can we can have some interchange on, on what we're seeing out of those young receivers during the during the preseason. Because I think that's the real test. There are so few padded practices now. Those four preseason games plus the two pre-game practices they have against the other team. You know, like last year it was the Colts. Yeah, yeah. Those represent a substantial portion of their total padded practice time. And, you know, it's all of the really hit you where you don't want to be hit practice time because they have very stringent rules about how they hit each other in practice. So, yeah, ab- absolutely. That, that's going to be big for those guys. That's a great point. That's a point that I, I don't think that we talk about enough uh, with rookies ever since the new CBA was renegotiated, how, you know, I, I, I know I've tweeted about this before. I don't want to belabor it, but basically um, I think it was the Rams who did a study that there are half the number of padded practices now under the new CBA. It, takes, it basically takes uh, a rookie three years to get the same number of padded practices that they got in one year under the old CBA. And that just cannot be uh, marginalized in terms of how important that is for development, particularly for wide receivers, because you think about how much timing and precision uh, goes into developing that, um, you know, with a quarterback. So, I mean, I, I think that's a huge point. Right. And the, the, and the fear of being hit over the middle or being hit even on the outside, wherever it might be, having that safety coming over and knock the crap out of you on the sideline, trying to knock dislodge that ball. That's an important part of being a wide receiver and understanding how to time your catch, how to secure the football, all the things that go along that we, we, we take for granted other than that he's got to get separation he's got to catch the football. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. So I agree with you completely. And let's move on to the offensive line because we, we've got a lot of exciting things to talk about here. Stanley Skira, Yanda Brown, I, Yanda Brown, they all appear set to start to me. Now, I know a lot of people have been talking negatively about Skira, and I also know that you and I both think more positively of him than the bulk of people. Um, I, I think his run blocking in particular has been undervalued and some of the way he's able to secure, um, a pass block when he's left or pass or run block, frankly, when he's left behind from an initial double. So we talked about Yonda's bailout block to help the right bailout blocks to help the right tackle where Skur is often left one-on-one with a defensive tackle. I think he's done pretty well. And also whenever they've done these multiple inside double teams, I think Skur has been a very important component of that. One more thing about Skur, I just, I have to say this. He's got much better footwork than past centers the Ravens have had. I watched Creed Humphrey play at Oklahoma, and he was tripping up powers a fair amount. And then I've been watching the 2006 season, this offseason, we're scoring that. And Mike Flynn is just a mess in terms of his footwork. And he's in the second to last year of, his, of a long NFL career, but he's, he steps on Bowler's foot, he trips up the left guard. And we just didn't see that kind of problem from Skirrell last year. There's other... You know, he's got an imperfect anchor. No one's going to no one's going to claim that he's got a perfect anchor, but right. but he has good footwork for a center. Yeah, I 
I, look, we we've talked about it. We we both are higher on Skura than probably the average fan out there. I mean, look, the guy played every offensive snap last year. I mean, durability goes a long way at any position, but particularly on the offensive line. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more about his mobility and footwork. I think that those are his strengths. I think uh, throw in, you know, how he uses his hands, his hand placement right in there with those other two things are, are really strengths for him. Look, he's going up against some behemoths at defensive tackle in the AFC North, right? So it's going to be hard for anybody to anchor against those dudes. Um, but it was his first year, right, starting at center, uh, you know, significantly, right, in terms of mm-hmm. starting a significant number of snaps in games. So uh, I expect him to continue to improve, and I actually think he's a solid guy at center. So, I mean, it, it, unfortunately, you know, when you're on the offensive line and, and maybe center uh, tackle is probably maybe the only other position where it stands out more. But um, – you know, when it goes bad, it stands out, right? Mm-hmm. It grabs your attention. But when it goes as it's supposed to, when it goes as planned, you don't even notice it. So <laughs> I think that's right. what happens a lot on the offensive line. It's like when a guy gets run over or bowled backwards or gives up quick pressure, you know, that's what you remember. But you don't remember the other 60 snaps where nothing happened, right? Because he did his job. So I think that's just part of, um, you know, the anonymity, so to speak, of playing on the offensive line. Yeah. So aside from those four starters that we just mentioned now, there really is a battle royale where literally every other player who's likely to make the roster. And I'm going to I'm going to take Greg Sanat out of this group, but literally every other player is likely to make the roster. Powers, Bozeman, Hurst, Lewis and Illuminor are all fighting for that left guard spot. I've never seen anything like it in terms of a spot being that up for grabs entering training camp. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to watch because, like you said, it's, it, it could just go in so many different ways with all the different guys who have an opportunity to compete for this position. Um, you know, Hurst has been a guy who's played that position two seasons ago and did it in a really solid way, right? I think I think coming out of that mm-hmm. season, I think a lot of the fan base who maybe was a little bit on the fence about James Hurst, particularly when he was back at tackle. Uh, when he moved to to guard two seasons ago and really, you know, acquitted himself well, I think people kind of came into 2018 thinking, hey, you know, maybe we've got this thing sorted out. But then he dealt with injuries and, uh, you know, had some other issues. And uh, then we just sort of saw a revolving door, right? Alex Lewis uh, sort of got his opportunity and he's consistently dealt with injuries uh, throughout his short career, unfortunately, because he, he seems like a talented guy and, and seems like a guy who uh, at least – um, Coach D'Alessandra seems to to really like. I know he's got that connection with his dad, but he, he seems to be the kind of guy that that he likes, a guy who wants to do it the way you're coaching him to do it. Uh, and I, I know I've seen him talk about that and, and particularly mention Alex Lewis at a clinic. And Illuminor is a guy that I'm probably higher on than a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people, uh, maybe people sort of see him in the same way that they saw Hurst uh, before that 2017 season. But I think that when he got snaps at left tackle this year, and I know we're talking about left guard, mm-hmm. but when he got snaps at left tackle, I thought he acquitted himself really well. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect on the O-line. But a guy who had played tackle in college and then came into the NFL and played guard, and then I don't think that he played tackle in any games in 2017. Maybe he did it in practice, but I don't think he did it in any games no, in 2017. No, I'm and, not aware either. 89 scored snaps at tackle. So I, I don't want to go overboard on – yeah, like getting, yeah. get real effusive because he ended up only having one game where it was enough snaps, which I have a 20 snap minimum to get a grade. But in 89 scored snaps, he had a point eighty two raw score. And that included the major deductions being two penalties against Pittsburgh. So I, I, I'm 
I'm very optimistic that we got finally a swing guy who can actually play guard and tackle. And I think it's just the icing on the cake for this whole battle royale to have Illuminor being getting the the first team snaps in the OTAs. And you know, you, first of all, you hear all about Powers in the draft, and I'm sure Powers right. will get his chance to, to to win the job here. And and Illuminor is starting first, and and Harbaugh is saying Hurst is the starter if we start today. But he's just saying that, you know, it's just it's 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 yep. coach it's coach speak in some way. And you have Lewis who's had this spot the most before, but you know he's hurt, and he's honestly in the I think the most likely of that group to actually be cut. And then you have. Uh, uh, who am I missing here? Bozeman, who is as secure as a backup as you could be because he's had all that time at center in last year's preseason. And I thought played very well at left guard last year in relatively limited opportunities. But I look at it, it's not that limited. It's 230 yeah. scored snaps last year. That's pretty significant. Yeah, he, I, I, You made the point. He didn't take any Ascura snaps. They were all at left guard. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on Bozeman. I actually thought he he did a really solid job in those snaps when he was at left guard. But I know that you scored them, so let me ask you because I I heard this from uh, Jeff Zrebeck, who mm-hmm. you know writes for the Athletic. Now um, he was talking about this left guard uh, sort of battle and and mentioned all those other names, but left out Bozeman. So you know this was on Twitter, so I you know sort of tweeted him back and said, hey, what about Bradley Bozeman? And he said, hey, yeah, he's probably definitely in the mix. It wasn't an intentional omission, but he said, from what I hear from the coaches, he's on the ground too much. So I, I hadn't really noticed that when I was watching him. So I wanted to see if that was something that maybe stood out to you or, or that you noticed when you were scoring him. Okay, it is a it's a major consideration for missed blocks if the guy goes to the ground. So it would fall into my missed block category if it doesn't fall into a worse category. Okay, so it could it could be a pressure is is because of it. It could be a a, a quarterback hit, but the, uh, also because I b- very much believe in winning ugly at the NFL level. So this is a difference maybe between college scouting and and pro scoring. Is right. at the NFL level, the only thing that matters is if you're able to get it done against your opponent. Form, I, I believe, takes a great backseat at the college level because of the disparate level of competition and you're trying to project the guy to the pro level. I think form is very important. Right. Okay, so yeah. so with Bozeman, he I have him for 15 missed blocks and 230 snaps, which is a somewhat high percentage for a guard, but not off the charts. What he was good at is he didn't give up a whole lot of, of, of any kind of pass rush events until that playoff game. And the playoff game, he got beat for one and a third sacks and half a pressure in only 30 snaps, scored an F in that game. But otherwise, he, he had one D plus and every other game was an A or a B as far as I, I scored it. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm very positive on, on what he did on the ground too much is an is just a very interesting comment yeah. relative to what I actually saw in his in his play. 0.82 aggregate score at guard. It, it was a solid B for, for the year for him, I thought, even including that that nasty playoff appearance where obviously, you know, the, the, the Chargers really had the Ravens figured out. Not, not, I'm not saying in terms of Stanley's footwork or, or whatever, but just they had two pass rushers who really knew how to exploit that left guard position. And they exploited the hell out of Hurst. And then Bozeman came in the game and they exploited him a little bit too. Not as badly, but a little bit. Yeah, that was a tough game for everybody on the O-line for the better parts of, of three and a half to almost four, four quarters. <laughs> so it was pretty rough for everybody on the O-line. But yeah, that was an interesting comment from Jeff. I'm definitely going to go back and take another look at, at, at Bozeman snaps to see if, if any of that stood out. Because it just didn't, you know, the first time around. I didn't really notice it, but maybe I wasn't, I wasn't focusing on it enough, so I'll definitely go back and take a look at that. But yeah, this this overall 
uh, competition at left guard is is really going to be something to watch. And, um, you know, I know we, we mentioned his name. Obviously, he's a draft pick. We're not going to not not talk about Ben Powers. But, uh, you know, he's he's going to get his opportunity to get a look uh, in there as well. So um, it, it's one of those positions where I know, you know, when we maybe get to the defensive show, we'll talk about this and we talk about how much depth, how much depth they have at, at defensive back. But uh, just in terms of NFL you know, starter to solid starters, maybe replacement level player. They've they've got a solid group of guys here on the offensive line. Yeah, there's there's plenty of talent here to to have one of them emerge as a as a as a good left guard. You know, an NFL average left guard. Uh, you know, Yanda got to make sure a player at his age. You know, you have a replacement, and frankly, a lot of the preseason battle at left guard is going to occur at right guard. Yes. Because you can't get everybody in at left guard. They're going to be playing right guard. And exactly. and that may influence some of the things the Ravens do in terms of their left-handedness or right-handedness during the preseason. So we'll be looking for that and trying to see, are they trying to trying to get pulls to the left from right guard uh, just the same way they get pulls to the right? And can they be you know a little bit ambidextrous, we'll call it, by having their tight end line up on opposite sides or motion in different ways to, to get that uh, additional block made? But anyway, I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this preseason. I, I this has got me really going to have this conversation with you, Michael. I'm hoping we uh, can continue throughout the year again. We'll we'll you know certainly keep up on that and and what the uh, uh, the preseason in particular I think will be will be fun. Um, is there where, where do you think about 24, 26 uh, uh, offensive players uh, making this roster and and in particular in the offensive line? How many are you seeing? Well, yeah, that's whew, that's that's a good point. Um, you probably have these numbers uh, off the top of your head better than me. What 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 have they done in years past in terms of numbers? Has it been eight or nine on the O line? That they you know, it, yes, it's usually eight or nine. And nine used to be the really common number, and you end up keeping a guy like Brian Rimp or or Hale as the ninth guy. Uh, but but they but they've done eight in recent years a fair amount. And and DaCosta even made a comment. Forget if it was last camp or it was maybe 2017 when, ta- and I think it was last camp when talent was kind of thin, and they had guys like Illuminor and Syracusa who they didn't know they were going to make the roster. So they, they, they the point that DaCosta made was that maybe you only go with seven if you really only have seven and take your chances with the practice squad. Now they went with eight, they kept eight on the on the on the roster, and they have more often than not over the last three to four seasons. They've they've had eight guys. So, you know, if you look at eight offensive linemen, I think three running backs for sure and a fourth is possible. I think two two quarterbacks for sure, a third is possible. I think three tight ends at the only. And I'd say with wide receivers, they probably have six. So six, three, eight is 17, 20. You're you know, you're at 22 sure thing. And then you've got McSorley and you've got Dixon and you've got a ninth offensive lineman and you've got an extra wide receiver. So those are the those are the extra positions where you could keep on, and I just don't see them keeping three out of those four things. I think they'll keep two out of four and keep the extra defender. Yeah, that that extra old lineman is kind of what I'm really looking at right now because even though we didn't, you mentioned his name, but we spent a lot of time on left guard. Greg Sanat is the one that's interesting to me in 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 that number sort of battle right there because he's the guy out of you know sort of the 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 backup guys or the depth guys who 
really is a true left tackle. I That's mean, right. just in terms of body type and athleticism, you know, movement skills. He's he's probably the only other really true um, left tackle. You've got a Luminor who we talked about who can be sort of a guard swing tackle kind of guy. I think Hurst, he's done it. I know people will debate his ability to play tackle, but I mean, he's, he's done it functionally uh, in games in the past. So I look at those two guys who have that ability, but again, they're not the pure sort of athletic mobile big you know big tall guy sort of prototypical uh body type now obviously he hasn't um you know been available uh to 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 see on the field uh in large number i mean he played in the preseason a little but not we didn't see a ton of snaps at him but that's the one that that, that's the guy who's really interesting to me in that o-line battle because of sort of his uniqueness at uh you know one of the most coveted positions along the o-line Right. It's a, it's a great point. And in some ways, Illuminor's success in 2018 at left tackle has probably reduced his chance to come back this year from injury and, and get the opportunity that he would like to have. I mean, I think we'll see some of Illuminor at left tackle in the preseason, too. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think it, I mean, it would just be Sanat. But Sanat will get, a, will get quite the look. And I agree. I don't think it's going to ever be optimal to have Orlando Brown move to left tackle. So I think he's going to be the guy there. And I certainly don't think it's optimal to bring Hurst back to tackle on either side. I think it's preferable if Hurst could just focus on one position and trying to be the best guard he can be and hopefully get over the injuries, which if they weren't the reason, you know, you got to really think about how long Hurst is going to still be in Baltimore. True. True. I didn't I didn't even factor that in. I I was so hoping that it was injury related, but if it's not, yeah. And yeah, you got a whole other thing to think about. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Josh, how about mailbag questions? We have anything this week? Um, it's it's pretty thin this week. We can't. We do have a couple questions that are maybe a little early to ask. And the first one is from Miggy, who wants to know: as you guys really dug into your offensive line, who would you put in there as backups that aren't going to be the regular starting guys? Is it the guys that are in those battles? That'll then just get a little bit of playing time. Yeah, I think that uh, we'll each pick one. But to me, Bozeman is the easiest choice for a backup on this team. Now, he could win the left guard thing, but I think he's kind of a long shot to do it. I think he needs to to really be focused on what happens if Skura goes down and you know try to fight for that center position, get that experience at center in the preseason, and also be the valuable left guard backup on an as-needed basis, just like he was in 18. How, how about you? I'm going to go with... Powers just because he's a rookie and I, I not to say that he could not win that left guard job because he could anything is possible. But I think um, he's probably less likely than some of the other guys that we already talked about. So just just by nature of that, I'll I'll, I'll throw him in that that depth category. All right. And then Garnett is wondering what personnel package would be, be uh, best for this team based on this offense. And oh. what do you think the pass to run ratio will be? Okay, see, so that is a really hard one to predict this early. But I, I, I'm going to say one thing. I think we will see slightly less than two tight ends on the field per play. And I, I think one of the interesting questions that they're going to have to decide, and we didn't really include that in the discussion here, was Patrick Ricard anywhere and whether or not he fits into a fullback discussion or whether he fits in as the fourth tight end. We really didn't talk about that at all. But if... I don't see the Ravens being a two-back set very often unless one of the backs is really a tight end. And, Michael, tell me what you think about that. Because that really that really sets up how often the Ravens are going to really have three wide receivers or more on the field. 
Yeah, so that I, I'm with you 100% on that. And I think that's where it really gets into how you define that that second back position, because I think they're going to be a 12 personnel team, which is one running back and two tight ends. Mm-hmm. I would expect that to be. And, 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 and I know the league in general is a is an 11 personnel league, which is running back and, and mm-hmm. uh, three wide receivers and one tight end. And I'm not saying they're not going to do that. I definitely think that they will. But I think if you just look at the way they're presently constructed, and again, we're doing this early. So based on, you know, where we are right now and how they're presently constructed, you would, I, it will, I would say that their strengths in terms of receivers, and I'm including tight ends, so not just wide receivers, but receiver mm-hmm. position would be at the tight end position, right? Because you've got some unproven guys. I mean, talented guys in in terms of what we saw them what what we saw them do in college with uh, Hollywood Brown and Boykin, but but unproven. So I would expect them to be a 12 personnel team. Uh, I like you said, I I think that that um, you know if they do go into some two back sets, that you'll see a tight end, whether that's Boyle in there as as sort of the blocking backs or that uh, H back hybrid position, uh, or whether they they use Hurst or whether they use Andrews, which they did they did use Hurst. I don't remember seeing them use Andrews a lot out of that position last year, but I know they used Hurst out of that mm-hmm. spot at times. So that that's where I would lean um, today, but um, that would be counter to what's prevalent in the league. I was just looking at those numbers um, maybe a week or two ago, and 11 personnel still rules the day uh, in the NFL. You know, here's the interesting thing about this, and I think this really speaks to some of the opportunity with Greg Roman's offense, is that other teams in the NFL are looking to force the nickel with three wide receivers because they love to run against that nickel. They love to run against the six in the box, look, having lighter defenses on the field, try and win the line of scrimmage, and try and just do it with one back and not a fullback. And the Ravens want to force the standard, want to force the base defense, because they have all sorts of opportunities to get mismatches with both Hurst and Andrews flexed out wide. So if you put two tight ends in the game, it could mean that's really got a fullback in the game, or it could mean you have three wide receivers in the game because Andrews flexes out so well. And frankly, I think Hurst will, will, will be almost as good as Andrews in that respect, in his ability to flex out. Hurst probably is that, you know, just that in-between guy. Give you a little bit of blocking if that's what you want. You know, kind of like Max Williams did. And and uh, and a little bit of receiving as well. Max Williams is a guy we didn't talk about here. But, you know, obviously he's not no longer a Raven, but he was one of the guys who was used extensively in the backfield last year as a, uh, you know, in that in that uh, fullback role. Even had a couple carries. Yeah, and those, that, that's a great point. The flexibility that guys with skill sets like Andrews, like Hayden Hurst, what that allows you to do because then you know at least in theory on paper you know you see what happens on the field but at least on the chalkboard what happens is if you want to split one of those guys out and a team wants to match up with nickel personnel well now we can run the ball right we can Mm -hmm. motion we can shift into a different formation and now you know we've we've got that lighter box and we've got uh, a tight end, you know, on a DB potentially as a, as a blocking matchup. And we like that. Or if you want to come out with base personnel, um, then we can flex that guy out and get him into the pattern and have him matched up with a linebacker or a safety who um, maybe not quite as athletic uh, as that, as that guy in, in Andrews or her. So that's really the flexibility. Uh, and, and really this goes back. I don't want to derail us. I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but this really goes back even in my mind to like uh, Bill Belichick, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, that that goes back, I really think, to those days where I think Belichick really saw the value of being able to go with 12 personnel a lot when you had tight ends who could do what those guys could do, 
who had the receiving ability, who were athletic mass, who were mismatches, but then also could block in the running game. Obviously, Gronkowski was a very good blocker. Hernandez, not quite as much, but um, but still the flexibility that that gave you, because you're trying to put yourself in a position that no matter how the defense responds, they're wrong. Right. If they come out in nickel, we run the ball. They're wrong. Uh, if they come out in base, we pass the ball. They're wrong. So I think he really sort of started to to move in that direction. And you don't see a lot of other teams around the league do it as much. It's really 11 personnel league now, like I said. Yep. But the Ravens, you know, they might be taking a page out of that that Belichick book of, of zagging when the rest of the league has zigged. Well, the, the, the Ravens played 83 percent of their snaps in 2018 with five or more DBs on the field. So that gives you an idea of how often the other team is lining up with three receivers. And there are some other automatic situations where by down and distance you do it. But almost always the other team will have three wide receivers in the game when you're playing nickel or, or more defensive backs. Yep. Anyway, Michael really appreciate this and and uh i think i hope people are going to like this episode and come up with some good questions for the defense josh anything more for us uh no we what we'll do is we kind of snuck up on people with this episode so on the next episode uh we'll handle any offense or defense questions that come in uh for the mailbag instead of trying to separate out the mailbag this week Sounds good. I'll try and I'll try and get a notification out there a little earlier. I'm sorry, guys. I, I know uh, Garnet and Miggy are two great fans, and I'm glad they got they got it in that uh, that early. Yeah, no, we're recording late on a Saturday night. It's it's a surprise to anyone. Uh, all right, so training camp is less than two weeks away. I'm sure you guys. What are you guys working on? What are you planning for Russell Street Report and all? Ken, you got anything in the can? Uh, yeah, I do have I do have one piece that's coming. It's a historical piece on how the Ravens' uh, use of a rotational defensive line has changed over the years. So it's it's a lot of fun putting this together, and I'll have that ready in the next week or so. And I uh, I'm going to actually make a couple of trips out to a couple training camp practices and do a couple of write-ups for Russell Street Report. But in terms of stuff that's out there right now. Uh, I know you guys have De- have had Dev on the show uh, before Dev Pinchwa, but Dev and I did a couple pieces on Pernell McPhee and Shane uh, Shane Ray, a couple of video pieces that I think are still out there on Russell Street Report, uh, somewhere on the site. Those are really fun to to really look at some some video uh, of a couple plays and 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 break those down. And Dev is 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 a great guy, so we had a lot of fun. So those are out there if people want to take a look. All right, you're at Abukari. On on uh, Twitter, A B U K A R I, correct? That is it. Only only you and one other person has has taken the educational opportunity to go out yes. and see what that means. So. It's absolutely fascinating if you if you want to watch that. It's also it's a little bit hard to find because it's not the exact name yes. that's often given to the guy, but uh, a, a West African explorer of note who may have been to Brazil before Columbus, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. And out of, out of deference, you know, I, I didn't want to use the exact spelling, so I had to change it up a little bit. But yeah, you know, Google it. You know, I had an instructor who told me that one time. GTS. Right. Google that. Well, this is a family show, so we won't do that. But GTS uh, <laughs> is what he recommends. We'll that. That's right. Google that stuff. Right. If there's something you don't know the answer to, Google that stuff. Okay. Very good. OK. I'm at Film Study Ravens. Josh at Josh Soroka. Yeah, that's it. Nice and simple. OK. What's going on at 336, Josh? Uh, you know what? I launched a new podcast that people can go subscribe to. It's called three, three, six daily. It's a whole separate, uh, podcast feed in your podcast player. 
and it is mini episodes every weekday morning, like 10 to 15 minute episode that catches you up on whatever Oriole news happened the day before, night before, and get you set for any water cooler talk. So you don't have to watch the Orioles and sit through <laughs> some of these horrible games. You can listen to me in the morning and uh, I'll update you on the uh, Andrew Kashner trade or whatever else is going on with the Orioles. Okay, now Andrew Kashner has not yet been traded, correct? Although he is, he's no, he was he was traded on Saturday night. I did not know that. Okay, now yes. they're in a. So what did the Orioles get for him? Uh, two seventeen-year-old Venezuelan baseball players from the Boston Red Sox. Hmm. Okay. So kind of smart by Mike Elias because we can't really judge him on whether this was a good or bad trade for five years from now. So <laughs> everyone will forget about it by then. All right. Very good. Josh, uh, uh, I, we'll be back uh, in the next couple of days to do this other episode on the defense. Very similar. Please get your questions in for that. Anything else, Josh? No, we're all good. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.